Welcome to the Ken Hill Podcast. Uh, once again, I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. And yeah, you can see me again. Uh, I'm recording this uh, again for uh, YouTube as well. And then uh, we'll use the audio for our SoundCloud. So I hope, yeah, I hope you, uh, hope you did like the, um, the YouTube uh, the video part. So kind of fun to do. And I'm recording uh, this podcast. This is the, the second part. This is podcast 76. And 76, holy smokes. And this is part two of our, our Q&As. So we had, we've had a bunch of people uh, from the, uh, the Instagram Live uh, write, give us a bunch of questions. We had a bunch of follow-up questions. We've had other people ask questions. So what we're doing now to hopefully keep you uh, entertained uh, while we're all uh, sheltered in place is, um, uh, is answer a bunch of your questions. So this is, this is part two. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, we had some really great questions this time. And um, this podcast, uh, once you get into it, is a little bit longer as well. They're, they're about 30 minutes or so, plus me sitting here blabbing on the, uh, on the intro as well. But uh, yeah, some really great questions. So let's, let's dive into it. And this, this podcast, again, was with um, uh, Richard Morris. So you'll see Richard Morris peek in and out of the, uh, of the podcast as well, helping me set it up and throwing me questions uh, that I don't, get to see, I don't get to see beforehand. So, all right. Questions that we had uh, for podcast 76 were, do I need to use the rear brake and can I be awesome without it? And uh, yeah, you absolutely can. And uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll answer that question. And there's also a good um, previous podcast on that podcast 40. It goes into pretty, pretty good depth with the rear brake as well. The second question is, Ken Hill's favorite bike is? Yeah, that's right. So I, 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 I fumble my way through that question a little bit because, yeah, you'll see when you listen to it. Um, this was a fantastic question. Oh, great question. What makes for a great rider mechanic relationship? And boy, that can make or break a lot of what happens on, on race teams. Oh my gosh. So great question. Um, I, go in pretty, I go into some pretty big depth with, uh, with that one. And there's three podcasts that actually relate back to that one, which is podcast 29, 32, and 73. So you can kind of go back and uh, listen to those that uh, will give you some more insight on that one. Fourth question is, Without data logging or any type of telemetry, how can I identify my biggest weakness? Uh, we go into that one as well. Great question, oh, fantastic question. And uh, one that we're, we're actually really trying to work hard on um, giving people more access. Um, when you find the answer to that question, it'll give you more people access to be able to um, get their writing critiqued in a very short amount of time and very inexpensively as well. So awesome there. Um, Question that we did see a lot of, uh, or a lot of, a lot of circumstances last year, which was would uh, moving to a smaller displacement bike accelerate the improvement of my riding precision in my in, in my in my riding advancement? Um, great question, and uh, we go into we go into pretty big depth on that one. And the last question that we have on that one is what is <laughs> what is uh, Ken Hill's favorite tracks? Um, yeah, I, fantastic question, and uh, yeah, I get to ride a lot of tracks, and uh, I go into the I go into depths on that one. So, yeah, this is a this is a great series of questions, um, and we still got. I'll probably do in part probably do a part three of the Q and A because uh, we still got a bunch of questions that we haven't answered yet. So, there's our intro for podcast seventy six. I hope you enjoy it. 
And if you do have questions, you certainly can send them through um, the Facebook Messenger um, or Instagram for the track time accounts. So use the track time accounts for Facebook or Instagram, um, and then you can use the Messenger uh, part on there. And uh, I'll get the questions and uh, we'll get them answered for you. So without, uh, without waiting anymore, here's Podcast 76. All right, Ken Hill here, and we are, yeah, you can see me again. Isn't that crazy? Um, yeah, we've had a lot of people that uh, have liked this experience with um, being able to have these on YouTube. And uh, yeah, you get to see me, so kind of cool. And we're here at the second round, part two of our, um, of our Q&A with me. And if I still got Richard Morrison, Richard's here, and he's gonna, he's gonna feed me the questions that I, I don't really, I don't know. I know some of them will come off of our live Instagram. Um, some of them are other ones that we've built up. But yeah, he's going to throw questions at me. And uh, we're going to do just like we did on the last one and, and uh, start answering them. So, all right, let's, let's dive right into it. And uh, all right, Richard, here we go. This, are, this is the second, uh, this is the second um, part of this. And uh, we'll do another three, four questions depending on time. So yeah, here we go. Okay, thanks. Uh, let's just dive in. Like you said, I'm going to go with, let's go with rear brake. Um, when do you use your rear brake? God, just or no the, foreplay. Yeah. Just, just, just right, right. I want to run it. 33 minutes again. Let's keep it, let's keep it under 25. All right. So the question is, when do you use the rear brake or? Yeah, well, rear, rear brake in general, that's a pretty common question, okay. I think. And, uh, you know, do you use it? Is it necessary? Can you get away with not using it? Can you be awesome without yeah, it? Yeah, so this is, <laughs> rear brake is really an interesting one. And um, let, let me just say, let me start it off with this. If there's a thousand things that we should be working on, on, on riding our motorcycle, rear brake is around 994. So, there's so many different things that you can be doing on a motorcycle, but, but the importance of the rear brake as, a, in, as something that enhances the performance um, is, is pretty low on the list. Again, so out of a thousand things, it's around 994. <clears throat> that said, in my experience with working <clears throat> with top level riders and even newer riders, it ends up being a, uh, something that, that is uh, from comfort. So I've had riders that have won Moto America races that use the rear brake everywhere. I mean, they're on the rear brake constantly. And if anything, they're being told to get off the rear brake more. Um, I've had riders also win Moto America races that never use the rear brake. <clears throat> so it ends up being more of a, of a tool that, that is um, for comfort. And it also depends on what the situation is. So riders that, so let's talk about the comfort part. Riders that have grown up using the rear brake, whether it's from motocross, dirt track, or some sort of background that has them using the rear brake a lot, um, they're comfortable knowing that the rear brake is gonna either slow them down or help change direction or, or use it as, a, as something that enhances grip or, or even wheeling. So it's more of a comfort thing. Um, I've had riders that, um, that are learning how to use the rear brake and they're learning how to use the rear brake again in specific circumstances. So the answer is the rear brake can be important. The rear brake is, at, is sort of at the bottom of the list, but the rear brake is not corner specific. 
or it is, um, it, I'm sorry, it is corner specific, meaning different situations may, may or may not require the rear brake. I've worked with riders that will go to a track and they use the rear brake literally every, everywhere, right? They're on the rear brake, go to another track that doesn't call for it, and they barely use the rear brake. So <clears throat> how are they using the rear brake? A lot of them are using the rear brake um, to help the stability uh, of the front of the bike. Because what ends up happening is if you go to the rear brake slightly before the front brake, it controls the pitch of the bike. And so if it controls the pitch to the front, then the front can take a little bit more of a load. And it just, it helps control that. It also can help the bike um, at sometimes if you go to the rear brake slightly before the front, it actually can help control the bike staying in line a little bit more as it doesn't transfer the weight so much. It also helps quite a bit with the bike wheeling. So if, especially like maybe on a 600 that doesn't use a lot of electronics, where maybe there's a situation where the front end's light, you can hold some throttle against the rear brake, keeps the bike from wanting to wheelie. So yeah, rear brake is, is great, but it's in, in, at the very sharp end of the sport, yes, you're gonna use it because we're looking for an advantage anywhere, anywhere and everywhere, but it's also something that um, is more situational dependent, right? Whether the rear brake's going to help you or not. Uh, and it also comes from personal preference. Question that I have that came up in that answer, at the world stage, um, is there any truth to dragging the rear brake to tighten up your, your line, your radius? Is that yeah. done? Yeah, absolutely. So, there, and there are times, and even, even in the US, I mean, there's a couple of tracks where we've messed around with that, you know, sort of longer left-hand corners. That's something that we messed with like in the carousel um, at, at Sonoma. Um, it, towards the bottom, you can drag a little bit of rear brake, helps suck the bike back in a little bit. Um, so yeah, it, it absolutely helps um, tighten up radiuses, but also, you know, they might run the throttle against the rear brake, just, you know, just help steady the bike, um, be able to start getting the load developed into the bike. Um, yeah, it, it, there, there'll be definitely will be a lot of that. Cool. Let's go to a fun question that I know you love to answer these kind of questions. Um, Ken Hill can have one bike in his stable what's it going to be uh, okay but the problem is they're all good <laughs> they're, they're they're all good and uh yeah if i could have only one bike man yeah i don't i don't know how well to answer that i'll i'll, I'll try to answer that but it's gonna you know everybody's gonna want to you know point me on something and i'll, I'll answer it um it's, it's tough because there's times where every bike that I'm riding that particular day is my favorite bike. Just because riding a motorcycle when you're doing the techniques correct and everything's working well, they're all amazing. It, it honestly does, I don't care what I ride, it's all fun. One of the top, I don't know, five or six times, you know, best time I've ever had on a motorcycle was riding a stock Ninja 400, feel like a pro 400. It was amazing, right? Everything was, everything works, everything worked um, absolutely, absolutely amazing. I've had other days on, you know, on, on big modified thousands that have been best days ever. So I think, I think because when, when we ride, we ride so much um, during the day, we'll ride typically four to five hours a day. Having something that's a little bit more comfortable uh, works really well. So I would say, gosh, it's such a tough one. 
Yeah, because you know one of my favorite bikes. So this this runs neck and neck. A Graves a Graves R6 is is probably one of my favorite bikes. That's that is right right there. A Graves built 600 is oh, such a good bike. Um, the other one would have to be probably like um, an upright type of a naked bike. I spend a lot of time on FC10s, FC1s. And I would say that if I had to have only one type of a bike, it would be an upright naked bike, um, probably a modified FC10 or a Tawano, or uh, I haven't ridden the new Ducati. Uh, it's coming out, but I would say that something along those lines. Great. Is that, is that, an, is that, an, is that, is that, no, an, yeah, I, th I think so. I think that's so much fun. They're, I mean, again, all the bikes are so much fun, but yeah, Graves R6. Um, or Graves ZX6 now. Oh my God, they're so good. They're so good. Um, absolutely love them. Uh, but yeah, I would say naked upright bike, FC10, modified FC10, Tuano. Oh my gosh, they're, they're amazing. If you went through a list of tracks, do you think your bike choice would, would be different? Not, I'm not asking you to do that, but is that kind of, you know, if you were to say here, to take, take your favorite bike to the ridge, take your favorite bike to yeah, it the doesn't IR? Matter. No. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I mean, yeah, I mean, because they all do different, they all do different things. I mean, you, I can go to Portland on an Ninja 400 and have a blast, you know, because you get to play with the draft, you know, your brain's got time to, to, to deal with these things. So yeah, it, it, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter. Question number three. Sorry, I have a whole list in front of me here. Um, okay. Let's go to a, let's go to a racing, uh, racing question. Uh, what makes for a great rider mechanic relationship? Oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> absolutely fantastic question. And one that, yeah, I have um, um, quite, a, quite a bit of knowledge with um, and a lot of experience with. And this is an incredibly important um, topic, right? So because there there needs to be this trust and confidence in this relationship. And it doesn't mean that the crew chief is not necessarily looking out for the best of the rider or the riders looking, you know, look for the best, but there needs to be this trust and confidence that, that um, goes, goes between them. And, and I would, I would say um, for both of them, and this is this, so it has to be a two way conversation and both the rider and the crew chief have to have some of these same permissions. Otherwise, they can't have an objective conversation to, to make the bike better, to make the rider better. And I, I would say that it starts with um, both the, the crew chief and the rider need to have some humility. So they, they, need, to, they, need, to, they need to gather all of the information that's available and be open to that there's a better way. And we know sometimes it's, 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 it's super easy, right? The bike does this or the rider's doing this and you need to go fix it, that's fine. But they need to be open and be able to say, look, we're looking for a better way. I need to be open for a better way and not have such a closed mind with things. So I'd say the first one is humility. The second one is for both. And again, these are for both. This is a two-way conversation. Is that they, they, they need to be open to have feedback. So it, it, it's really easy to take things personally. It's really easy for the rider to go, I suck, this is horrible, you know, I shouldn't even be here. 
but they, again, being in a position to accept feedback from both the crew chief and the, and the writer, this is a huge deal. So they can't have a conversation objectively if they're, if they're essentially um, taking, things, um, taking things personally. So I, I think that that is, I think that's super, I think that's super important. And I would say the, the one of the other things that we're kind of on that vein is, is we, we try to work the equations backwards. In other words, we look at what the best possible scenario is and then say, okay, this is where, we're, where we need to be. And then this is where we're at. How do we get there? And the reason is, is like, okay, what are the best in the world? What are the best in the world doing? Or what would, what would the best in the world be doing in this situation? And that goes for um, whether it's um, an engine development issue or um, a suspension development or a suspension issue or even a rider's, rider's issue. I'll give you an example is, okay, let's say the rider's saying that the, whatever, the thing has no side grip, okay? So it doesn't have any side grip, and they can look at they can they can then ask the the crew chief, okay, I, I need I need more side grip, okay, great. Where is our shock setting at? And then that shock setting then can can be used to um, you can take the shock setting and determine whether it's in a correct envelope for that that bike. Is the spring in the right? Are using the right weight spring? Are using the spring in the right preload range? Are the, is the hydraulics where they're supposed to be? And using an expert, say if it's Olean's or whoever it may be, making sure that that is in the correct envelope. And if it's out of that envelope, then they can make some adjustments. And then the second thing that goes along with that without side, with side grip is making sure the rider's inputs are, are okay. I've had issues before with riders complaining of side grip and we found out that their initial throttle is too abrupt. So, and of course we were able to look at it with, it, with data. So, uh, making sure that we want to compare compare what we're doing with what the best in the world are doing because that's what we're striving to do. So <clears throat> I would say that the relationship is, the relationship is a lot of those things that I'm talking about <clears throat> as well as as then <clears throat> having having um, being able to communicate uh, in a way um, that is, is super clear and concise. And a lot of times your first instinct um, is right. So to give you a little bit of a, a, a process, how we would do it is um, we would want to get, if the writer comes in from a session, we would want to get their initial inputs because typically that's a very emotional, the bike sucks, it's doing this, I can't ride it. And then we let them think about it for 30 minutes. And then we get into our real, our proper downloads with the crew chief and the rider. And, and, and then they start to actually break it down and it becomes much more of a technical conversation than an emotional conversation. And then we're able to reconcile it. So yeah, it's an, it's an extremely important um, relationship, but I think it all goes back to those things that I mentioned before, um, which is needing to have some humility, uh, making sure that they're ready to accept feedback, and then also basing everything off what the best in the world are doing. Great. Um, I know it's so much. There's so much to that one. There's yeah, so no, much. Um, I, I could talk about. I literally could talk about that one for hours. There's so much to it. I mean, our downloads. Yeah, I mean, for a 45 minute session, our downloads were typically an hour, hour and a half for a single 45 minute session. And the way that we did it is we had a specific sheet 
of questions that we used about the bike. And then we had a separate sheet that we used for the rider. So we took, we took the download information off the bike, the download information from what the rider's inputs were, and then we reconciled those both together. It's, it's actually, it's, it's completely fascinating. How often are they, is the rider and the data kind of lined up or is that, or is, or is the oh, data? No, 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 there it's, all, it's always lined up. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. So again, it goes back to, I have no side grip, but then when I, when we do their rider download and I ask them how their motor controls are or their focus, typically it's not very good. Mm-hmm. So in other words, their brain's not on that situation. And so um, typically when we give them a score for say motor controls, um, and, the, and the score is low, then we find out that the front of the bike's not moving or there's an issue with the front of the bike or we've got a grip issue or the bike's not turning correctly or whatever it may be. So yeah, they're absolutely, they absolutely um, parallel each other. Okay, another, uh, this question I guess would, that could apply to anybody. Um, without, so you're, you're riding a bike that has no data logging, no aim system, nothing like that, just, just your bike and yourself, but without telemetry data logging, what is the best way to identify a weakness or what the rider should be uh, really focused on? Yeah, this, right, right. It, it becomes a tough one is um, basically, how do I know if I'm doing it right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what it boils down to. How do I know I'm doing something correctly? And if you don't, if, if we don't have, dude, I don't have full data. And of course I don't have reference laps from, you know, a pro rider or whoever it is. So how, I don't know. Well, there's, there are absolute ways to, to be able to do this. And the, the number one tool that we use for this is, is video. And when, when you understand how this sport works and you understand track dynamics and where the slow point is, and where the right um, turning points are and where the right body position and body timing are, all of those things become really good uh, report cards. And the first thing that when we do when we have video is we look at how the bike is, is the bike placed correctly at the apex? Does it have direction at the right time? Um, Are the right controls being used at the right time for that specific type of corner? Where is the slowest point? Um, where, it, you know, we, we can start to get into all these, all these different report cards. So video is the best way. I, I mean, we can, regardless of who is riding with us, whether it's a new rider or somebody that's a, that is a pro rider, we start with video. And we start with video and we'll use video up till about 90% of their total training is done with video. And then once we start to get video going correctly, then we'll move off into maybe some, some base uh, GPS-based data acquisition. And then the last 5% will move into all the controls with, with data acquisition. But, but video will take you through the first 90% of your writing, a- absolutely. So video is the way to go. And then you're able to look at the video and the video will tell you, when do I have direction? Um, where's my slowest point of the corner? Um, how much am I coasting? Um, am I able to add, you know, drive throttle and not give it up? Um, how's my body position? You know, all these different things. So video, video will, will tell the story. Yeah. I think that's a a question everybody runs in their mind track day people, especially, um, myself, uh, included, you know, you're riding around there. You feel like you're at your, your, your limit of where you are for the day but you're, you know, you're 
15 to 20 seconds off the lap record. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, you just wonder, well, where do I suck? Where, where do I suck the most? You know, kind of, and how to yeah, figure no, no, that no. out. This is, this is why having the right, having, fun, having the proper fundamentals and understanding the order of the fundamentals. Like, for instance, I, one of the things that I see quite often is riders will go out and they'll start working on their brake markers first. In other words, I know last year when I was here, when it was 80 degrees out, I could get to the three board, whatever the corner is, made up corner. And today, you know, whatever it is, it's, you know, March or April, um, it's, it's cooler out. My brain's not up to speed, but I'm trying to get to the three marker and I can't make it or I keep rushing my corner or whatever it is. That's, that's literally putting the last thing first. You know, we want to, if we start with our exits and we start to look at how our exits go and we start to back them up into our entry, I mean, that's the right order of how we're doing this. And of course it, 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 it allows your brain time to process all this information as well. So for riders that are looking at these things with video, right? This is, there's, there's a specific order in how we're looking at these things so you can improve, right? If you're 20 seconds off the lap record, but you're on the same bike on the same tires, right? Where, where, where is it coming from? Video is the best tool to look at it. And then looking at things in a very specific order is, is, is super key. Hmm. What's the next one? Uh, we got time for maybe two more if they don't go too long. Um, I don't know how to ask this one, but I'll try my best here. It's a bit long. Um, would a rider, would a rider benefit from a reduction in CC? So down to a smaller bike to improve the quality of their riding. So, you know, just to give a context, you know, someone I'll use my, myself, I think I'm the common track day rider. I've only ever had a leader bike. Um, only ever ridden leader bikes at the track. Again, one of those, you know, 12 to 15 plus seconds off lap record. Sure. You know, would I, would I absolutely hate it to get to go down to a, a twin cylinder or yeah. a, or a yeah. 600? Would I, would, would I miss something? Would I hate myself for it and just not have as much fun? So here, this is a great question. And this is one that actually we're seeing, we're seeing a lot with. So here it is, 2020. We're sitting here in this, you know, we're all sitting here in our, in our um, shelter at home, right? Shelter in place. Um, and uh, I would say during the 2019 season, I probably recommended or took off probably five of my clients. I took them off big bikes and we put them on smaller bikes. These were, these were newer riders. And, tr and trust me, I, I, I get it, right? I mean, there's nothing I want more than to, you know, run the gears through a BMW 1000 or, or a V4 or whatever, whatever ZX10 up a straightaway. It's the most intoxicating thing in the world. It's also really scary. So I had basically what would happen with every single one of these riders is they would improve fairly quickly but then when they hard plateaued, they, they were really stuck. And a lot of it got to, the, to be the fact of the bike was overwhelming their brain space. They, they, the bike was so fast that their brains literally weren't caught up to the bike, right? So they were riding around and all of their brain space was, was centered on how fast the bike was, how much force it was. I don't want a high side, you know, ah, when do I go to the brakes? 
So all of their brain space was taken up by the speed of the bike and not being able to ride it or work on riding technique. So we'd bring these riders off that bike. We'd put them on a stock 600 couple. We actually had one went on an SV. Um, we had one rider that went to um, an 899 Ducati um, off their V4. And it was fantastic. <laughs> Almost every single time their lap times are better. Well, their lap times are better than they are in the bigger bike. And suddenly it's not as scary and it's not as intimidating. So I, I would, yeah, I, I think that I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of generalize this. I think that, you know, until you're getting, if you're struggling to get within 10 seconds of the say lap record for that, for a leader bike or, you know, 10, 12 seconds off that, if you're struggling and you're plateaued at that 15 to 20 seconds, yeah, I do think you, you, you benefit from going down to a bike and being able to work some more on the riding technique because trust me, the, the value per lap and going to a smaller bike, you'll learn more, you'll, you'll, you'll be more comfortable, more confident, you'll have more brain space to work on techniques, then you will be so overwhelmed with, with the power um, or the extra braking force or the extra acceleration force. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd be a big fan of that. Yeah, I, I can see that if just talking to a track that's local to us and probably a lot of people uh, watching slash listening um, at the ridge, turn coming out of turn eight into nine, ten up that crest and then kind of working your way into 11. Yeah, with you're on the side of the power with, hauling ass. With 200 horsepower, you definitely want to grab the brakes in a pretty aggressive way getting to the top. I, I do anyway. I always yeah, get passed and, by and a lot and of guys. You, and then you end up over slowing 11. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because, because you're so freaked out right? Your, your brain is only like, oh my God, because your, your knee's basically on the ground and you're in third or fourth gear and you're, you know, you're pinned or close to being pinned and you're going. So yeah, your brain is like, holy crap. So yeah, being on, whether it's a Ninja 400 or an R3 or an SV or a 600, your brain has time, right? To be able to say, this is just a lot, you know, a, a lot, um, uh, I'm, I get in, I, I'm not on sensory overload. Yes. Um, one more. Yeah. How are we on time? Uh, we're 22 ish yeah. minutes. Great. In, I think. Let's see. Uh, one more fun one that, uh, that I know you'll love. So list off some of your favorite tracks in North America. Keep, oh my keep, keep it to five, maybe all of, all of them. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can find. I can find pretty much. I don't care what it is, right? Any track is great. Um, like my favorite track today would be, you know, Sean and Ryan Cressup's front turn track in their front yard. I mean, you can. You, I can find something amazing with with any track. Um, again, once you learn to ride correctly, it's just it's just absolutely amazing. But yeah, I would say my all time favorite track is Road America. Um, it is, it's just absolutely positively intoxicating. It's old school. Um, it's, you know, it's long and, you know, whatever it is, four mile track. It, you know, it has elevation. It's, it seems kind of narrow. It's, it has three complete dyno poles every lap, meaning you're, you're, you know, getting into sixth gear three times a lap. Um, you know, the trees are whizzing by you. It is just absolutely positively intoxicating. If, if you enjoy riding a motorcycle, you should go to Road America. Um, that is just, of course, that's my personal opinion. It is, 
it is absolutely positively um, worth, uh, worth the experience. So Road America, I would say, is, is, is number one. Um, let's see. Yeah, I mean, after that, um, you know, I, I, I absolutely enjoy VIR. Mid-Ohio um, are, are also pretty epic tracks. Barber's up there. Um, I'm also a huge fan of uh, Area 27. I'm going to, Area 27's on the list for sure. I mean, it's, um, Area 27's amazing. And I, I know I'm not going to sit here and, and make it an infomercial, but we have, we have a school there at some point this year. We'll don't know how that's going to happen with all the crap that's going on, but we have got a school. You can go to Area 27's website and, and, and look and see where the school is going to be. Uh, it's a member's track, so it's hard to get in. It is, and it's in the logistics are challenging. It's absolutely worth all of it. It's worth everything to get there and ride it. It is the smoothest, grippiest track I've ever been on, uh, and it's it's fairly diabolical. So I'm I'm a big big fan of um, very 27. That was a question then that I would add to that would be you know when you're when you're you forced to and like in this Q and A to answer that question, are you is the layout of the track weighted higher than say the the surface i know being from eastern canada yeah, so, some of the tracks out there are crap so you just think of the surface the, the yeah, tar snakes well, the it, it's part of the experience right yeah. i mean i mean honestly you know i spent a lot of time at chuckwalla and the bowl in chuckwalla is probably one of my top three corners in america i mean yeah i know i said road america as a total is more fun but the bowl at chuckwalla oh my gosh it's I cannot wait to do another lap to go through the bowl. It is, it is absolutely, absolutely fantastic. So I've not been there. What's the bowl like? Is it surface cruddy? Is it just a uh, old school? No, Chukwala needs some, some love on the surface. It's not, it, it definitely has got some challenges with bumps and basically the track is, is coming apart. But the layout is super fun. But the bowl is this gigantic banked corner. And depending on which way you're going, the, the exit is either opening or the exit's decreasing, depending on which direction. But it's super banked. And you can just, every time that you go through there, you went, oh, crap, I could have gone faster. Ah, oh, crap, I could have gone faster. Because the, 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 the camber just absolutely helps, um, helps you get in there. Absolutely intoxicating, intoxicating corner. Um, and there, you know, again, there's just other corners that, um, you know, and other individual corners, right? I just spent some time at Laguna. And yeah, the corkscrew is pretty damn cool. Um, the rest of the track, honestly, is, is okay, but yeah, the corkscrew, getting the timing right and feeling the whole bike become weightless, absolutely, absolutely a fun, um, a fun set of corners. So everybody's fascination with, uh, putting Laguna on the bucket list is probably because we've all played it in a video game rather than it actually being one of the yeah, best I mean, in the States. <laughs> I mean, the, the track is, the track is, I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It is super, super fun, but yeah, as a as a total, I mean, it's okay. It's the corkscrew though makes up make definitely makes up for it just because of the way when you get the timing right <clears throat> of coming there on the brake and then moving your body at the right time, the way the bike becomes weightless and then you time it with the throttle, it is yeah that it, that corner makes up for whatever the rest of the track you know might might not be as exciting with. But yeah, it is definitely really fun. Another great track um, that is worth an honorable mention: High Plains in Colorado. That is another epic, epic track. Um, super, super fun track as well. That's 30. Is it really? God, I talk a lot. I think so. Yeah. Um, 
All right. Well, then let's uh, let's wrap that. Let's 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 wrap this one up. And um, yeah, I mean, of course, this is just this is just part two. We're probably this is probably going to end up being like what three or four parts. Yeah, I think so. Um, we can put another call out for more uh, for more questions on uh, Track Time Ken Hill Facebook page and Instagram. So we'll uh, we'll try to keep them coming in. And, yeah, uh, I'll, I think I'll. Yeah, that's right. Let's let's close with this then, which is. Yeah, if you have questions, let's if you if if you have more questions, you can submit them to the Track Time Instagram page, Track Time Facebook page. Um, send them, send them, um, send them through there, and we can add them to our to our ever growing list of uh, questions. And I, you know, I know I said it in the in the last um, podcast that we had here, but yeah, use this time to improve. There's so many things that you can do off the bike it's just absolutely amazing i mean i went for my bicycle ride today i did my pt stuff today um, i'm going to do my little mental my, my some of my mental fitness stuff my mindfulness training this afternoon there's so many different things that that you can be working on um, for when the season does open up and the season is going to open up and we are going to be riding a lot so yeah hang in there hang in there and uh yeah we're going to make it happen